0: Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, we have the honor of sitting down with Dr. Irina Scott. She wrote an incredible book called Beyond Pascagoula, uh, the rest of the amazing story. And this, of course, has to do with the October 11th of 1973 Pascagoula, Mississippi abduction event, uh, which took place uh, about 9 p.m., something like that. Uh, We cover all of this, guys. If you're unfamiliar with the case, uh, she does a wonderful job talking about it as well. The reason that she wrote Beyond Pascagoula is because there's a lot more to the story. Uh, So she goes over that. Uh, She's got an incredibly impressive uh, background and even after this book, there's more to tell about the story. And we get into that. So uh, for all the ways to find her and her wonderful books, of course, guys, will be linked down in the show notes. Uh, Check down there as well if you'd like to expand your experience Experience with us here on the show with expanding that is where links to rockfin all the socials merchandise all that stuff can be found so uh, without any further ado let's get to this incredible conversation with dr irena scott All right, ladies and gentlemen, extremely excited to welcome Dr. Irina Scott. Uh, She wrote an incredible book, Beyond Pascagoula, The Rest of the Amazing Story. And uh, we have her here to talk. So uh, before we get launched into it, Dr. Scott, do you mind uh, just telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, my Ph.D. is from uh, the University of Missouri uh, School of Veterinary Medicine, and I had a postdoc at Cornell University, and um, I was a professor at St. Bonaventure University. I, um, my Bachelor of Sciences from, from Ohio State and in um, biology and astronomy. I worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency, DIA, as a GS-11, and was in um, Air Order of Battle, And um, this involved identifying aircraft from satellite photography from satellites. Um, And it had high security clearances. I also worked at Battelle Memorial Institute, which was involved in uh, a study of UFOs. And I've also been um, at in the security area of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for work-related things. Um, I've been a volunteer astronomer at the Ohio State University radio telescope called Big Ear, which is where they got the WOW signal, which may be the only, humanity's only signal from um, E.T. I've also been a... um, uh, correspondent for Popular Mechanics magazine, and I've um, had flying lessons and have a drone. I've been—I was on the MUFON board of directors, um, and I'm a consultant in physiology and astronomy now. Um, I was also founder of Mid Ohio Research Associates, MORA. So anyway, I've done a lot of research and I've published papers in science and about UFOs in scientific
0: journals. It's so fascinating. You have done a ton of work in this, in this arena. So let me ask you, what got you started in particular in this subject of ufology?
1: What got me started was my own experiences, and um, that's not welcome in scientific work. And so I was in the UFO closet for a long time,
0: but finally... Um, I crawled out and talked about it. It's a great way to put it. Uh, you are in the UFO uh, closet. I, I like that. that that's uh, what a lot of folks have felt like uh, they have had to be for a long time. Uh, same with Calvin Parker, uh, the subject of our story, one of the two. And so uh, let me ask you, what, what was your personal experience then?
1: I've had several and they're very long and involved. Um, one of the first ones was when I was about six years old and my sister was about four. We were really poor and we didn't have magazines and things like that in the house, or, um, we had outside plumbing. And my father recently farmed with horses and we were sleeping in two. So we didn't know anything about UFOs or flying saucers or anything. We just had a radio. Um, and my sister and I were sleeping in beds on the opposite sides of the attic room, and this—I woke up. It was night, dark, and a clear night. And this thing was flying around my, flying around the room, and I didn't know what it was. It didn't blink. It looked like it looked like a real live Tic Tac, actually. That's <laughs> what they call them now. But it looked like an actual one. It looked like a little cough drop. And it glowed kind of like, it looked like real hot iron. And it flew around and I wondered what under this thing was. And then I noticed that it seemed to be guided or something because it didn't bump into anything. It would go toward a wall and turn and go around furniture. And it kind of like seemed to get around us like it was close to our heads as it just browsed around the room. And... Then um, I didn't know my sister was awake, but she apparently knew I was awake. But um, then it flew up toward the ceiling and it got close to the ceiling and turned. And it went to a chandelier, which is in the middle of the room. and It was turned off. And the it was an attic room and the walls slanted up. Um about three feet between them. And the chandelier was between them, but it didn't feel its way around or anything. It seemed to know where the chandelier was. It decided to shir- circle the chandelier. It circled and circled and circled and circled. And then it came down in a spiral. And then suddenly I was just terrified. At the same time, my sister was too. And we both began shrieking and ran out of the room and fell down the stairs. We were so terrified and scrambled. And we couldn't get the door open to the bottom of the stairs. We were just terrified. And then we went shrieking to our parents and they didn't believe us.
0: Wow. Uh, Did your parents have any uh, encounters at all that they told you about?
1: Uh, They were both skeptics. My mother, um, that's why I know that it was a clear night was because my mother was sort of terrified of lightning. And if there was a slight storm, she made us come downstairs. So I knew it was a clear night, but sometime in her younger years, she'd had a lightning ball in her room that circled her bed while she was standing on the bed. It came in a window, circled the bed and then left and she was terrified and she was sort of scared of lightning from then on. And then once I remember, um, we had, uh, a brooder house of chickens at, small chickens every year that we raised and it was um on the other side of a windbreak from the house and so we had to go through this dark windbreak and then go out in the dark and shut up the chickens to keep the foxes and things from eating them and we all we took turns and one day my mother came went out (laughs) quite a while she came in and she was sort of white and she just sat down and after a while she was just sitting there looking like she was in shock and my father said, did you shut up the chickens? And she said, no. And he asked her why. And she said, because there were all these red things in the trees. And he asked her, well, are they in pairs? Like, you know, like 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 eyes of birds or something. And she said, no, they weren't in pairs. And then he went out and closed the chicken house. But I never heard anything else about it. But it's something I always kind of wondered about. Where were you raised? Where did this all take place? It's uh. In the central Ohio, on a farm. Um, it's no longer, I'm back on the same, where it was the same farm, but it's more like almost suburbs now. It was
0: an isolated farm back then. Really? So you moved into a home in a suburb on the same place that you, on the farm that you grew up in?
1: Yeah, my sister, we both went for years, all, all kinds of jobs every place and came back to the farm. And
0: That's it's crazy. still kind of like the farm, but we sold it to a park, but we're still living on it. Uh, have you had any encounters recently?
1: Uh, my sister and I had another one together, which was very involved and long. Um, and then recently I had one, I think it was 2000. I don't remember the date right now, but it was outside. um my house in the yard it's probably the only one why i didn't have another per, a person to be a witness but i had two cameras and i was out in my backyard here um photographing planets there were a nice line of planets up venus and mars and the moon and i think saturn and so i was just taking some pictures of them and i had a camera in my hand and i also had another um a telephoto video camera that i had set up and on a tripod and things but so i had this camera in my hand and i saw these two things go by they looked like they were pretty close it was two red glowing objects that seemed, that were just one was just exactly on top of the other and um, they looked like they were pretty close and they uh, past the planet. I was, I'd taken several pictures of Venus and everything. I'd just done that. And they passed Venus in such a way that one of them was above Venus and one of them was below it. But, um, and I thought they must be connected because they were just together. But when they passed Venus, I couldn't see any connection or anything that it was dark, pretty dark but I couldn't see a dimming of Venus or anything like there was a connection between them, but they just stayed right together. And I was so absolutely dumbfounded that I had a camera in my hand and I didn't take a picture. And it was just amazing. It was just like something you'd see in a cartoon or something. And I couldn't believe it. And then as soon as I got over being dumbfounded, I took some pictures, but the thing was over with. Then just immediately afterwards, the whole, light, the whole sky lit up in flashing lights. And so I ran to my video camera and turned it on. And it actually came on in focus. And I got these flashing lights in the video camera. Um, and so later I looked at the um, picture I'd taken with the, the iPhone that was after these things had gone over. And there were spots on them that were black and i didn't think they could possibly be birds or anything well i think they were white and i i need to look at it i put it on youtube and um they wouldn't put there were four or five of them and i thought there was nothing like that that i saw so i thought i photographed something i didn't see that maybe had been these things right before they started flashing and they just flashed there looked like there were several colors and um they drifted toward the east and then went behind a building and I tried to run with my camera and get them, but they s- disappeared or somehow I couldn't get them afterwards. But I put it down, managed to download everything in my computer and put it on um, YouTube. And also um, I turned it into, I think, John Greenfield and he investigated and said, yeah, it was unexplained. But I had that was the only one I'd ever had when I didn't have another person around at least one. but um I did have the cameras and get it photographed.
0: That is so interesting. And it's funny what you said, too, about that you were so dumbfounded or in the moment and filled with such awe that you had a camera in your hand, but you just didn't think to take a picture. You hear this a lot. You hear a lot of people say, yes, I had a camera on me. We were actually shooting planets or something like that. And I just was so blown away uh, that you're just overwhelmed that you just didn't take a picture of it. And so, yes, that happens. Uh, Now, what's interesting also is about the orbs that you're talking about, that you feel that you photographed something that wasn't there. Because when you went back and looked at the photographs, uh, it looked like something that you didn't see now this is interesting too I've heard a few cases and seen a video of someone doing this so have you ever heard of the people that take a picture out of a plane window to look at a sunset or clouds or something like that And then they're swiping through the filter options on their phone or on a particular app like Instagram, for instance. And whenever those color contrasts and things change to make the filter look, uh, make the picture appear differently, then there's a UFO in one of them. And then they swipe and there's nothing. So what's interesting, too, is like this um, element of that however you're capturing it, that there's some sort of light enhancement or adjustment that can be made to reveal things in the photograph that aren't there. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, because um, what I did was, um,
1: it was dark when I took the pictures. And when I bright, all I had to do was brighten the picture up. And I could see these things that I couldn't see when I, uh, that I actually saw. I mean, that I couldn't see with my eyes. And I didn't see it in the picture until I brightened the picture. And that was there. There were four or five of them. And I took the picture right one after another in the EXIF or whatever you call it, the picture showed, you know, it was right in a few seconds afterwards, but they were going by the same way the other, the lights were going by. And I could see, you know, each picture was a little bit different. So you could tell that they were flying by.
0: Wow. So you could see the progression of the kind of the trajectory that they were going on. That's fascinating. Um, Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to find out why you're so fascinating and obsessed with the Pascagoula abduction case.
1: Well, there's two reasons. One is, is that I had um, Philip Mantle um, in Flying Disk Press publish a couple of my books. And then he also published um, Calvin Parker's book. And um, after that, a number of people from Pascagoula came forward and said that, it, um, that they'd had... Uh, sightings and things too. And he's in England and they have an English accent. And pascagoula is in the south and they have a southern accent. And he wanted somebody from the United States to call and interview uh, the witnesses. And I had a setup where I could record the conversations and everything with their permission. And so I started interviewing the various witness the various witnesses. Uh, There was a second reason, though, and that was that when I was still in the UFO closet, actually, um, I was at Missouri working on my PhD, and um, one night my mother called from the middle of Ohio on our farm, and she said, did you hear that noise? And I told her that's 600 miles away. I couldn't possibly hear whatever she heard. And I joked with her and called her crazy and everything, I mean, lightly. And um, she called several days later and said they were just having a huge UFO wave that people were um, seeing UFOs and keeping their kids in at night and people stayed in at night and a UFO chased her best friend and things like that. And she's a real strong skeptic. And so I thought that was weird too, but I didn't pay attention to it for many, many, many years. And later, I was working at Ohio State University, and they had a newspaper room. And one day I was in the library and just on a whim, I thought, I'll go in and see if I could find a date for when she heard that noise. And I didn't expect to. But I went in and I didn't know when it was, but I just guessed it was the middle of October in 1973. And so I went to these newspapers, and they looked like a thousand million newspapers. I thought, well, I'll never find that. But I pulled down a few, and I immediately found it real fast. It was first or second one I looked at, and I was going to give up after that. And so it was October the um, 11th, 1973, which was also the time of the Pascagoula, which I didn't pay attention to at all. I got interested in the sound because... They always say UFOs are secretive things and there's no evidence and all that. Well, um, this was heard across the half the country and there were a lot of witnesses, but there was no explanation for it. And I kind of did a little bit of research and submitted it to a, a peer-reviewed scientific journal and the state um, seismologist of Ohio read it and got interested and he helped me do the research. And then I published in the journal. Um, And then some people that um, were in UFOs got interested and asked me to give a speech in front of their group. And I did, I called the big bang, but that's how I hooked up with people in ufology, which, so that, um, and that was a part of my book, the sound, which I've done more exploring about, but um, that's basically something that happened at the same time as Pascagoula was what got me into, pulled me out of
0: the closet and into uh, UFOs a little bit. <laughs> well, it's a great way to put it. And yes, it is a very interesting. And in your book, you do cover sonic booms and it is something I'm fascinated with because the entire idea that this thing created or that UFOs create a sonic boom at all is what's so fascinating because you hear actually quite the opposite, that they're dead silent, that when they shoot off, there's the absence, the clear absence of a sonic boom. So this is one thing where this makes this case in particular uh, much, much, much more interesting. So um, why do you think that that sound occurred?
1: I don't know. It didn't match the physical characteristics of a sonic boom. It was something that um, I could... I also published... Later, in the MUFON Journal, which is a UFO book, and somebody debunked me there, although the scientists I worked with it beforehand didn't, and um, uh, said it was an SR-71 that flew across, but the place where the SR-71 had flown was known. And um, I had weekly debunking said the sound wasn't where the airplane was, but since then, NASA had published a lot of information on sonic booms. And this started out in um, Iowa, and it was heard all the way across the country to a uh, city close to the Atlantic coast. I suppose it was heard by the Atlantic coast too. I mean, you know, I just went by the uh, newspaper reports, and it was reported right across the country in increments. It started about 820 EST and was by the coast before 9.00 and um, it registered on two seismographs and it was a huge, huge sound, very, very wide and long. And um, the first first newspaper articles that came out that night, I mean, it was reported in all these states right across the country that there was this huge sound and people ran out of their houses and things. Um, And um, it it was a, it was reported first of all as a airplane NSR seventy one, but by the next morning they had realized that the sound covered much more territory than a sonic boom would from an airplane, and so they uh, sort of explained it as a meteor. And I w- it was ma- it was on uh, two seismographs, and so I could get good a good. Uh, time good times from them and calculate the speed and it was a lot slower than a meteor and so it was pretty much unknown what caused it went over a lot of population populated areas and over washington dc it's
0: incredible uh, so let's talk about the flat, the UFO flap of 1973, because this is something that uh, in your book uh, you've observed and you took it you know, beyond the best story uh, about UFOs were one of the best is uh, the Pascagoula event. And this is what makes it beyond. Now, I had heard of an account of people who'd actually witnessed from across the river. Um, some sort of being inside of the water, and then blue lights, and then a flash. So they kind of corroborated the story from across the river. And this came out much, much, much later. Uh, it was a couple. I don't know if you'd heard this. It was a couple that was sitting in their car waiting for a boat to be. Um, I guess <laughs> that deliver- was in my book. Okay, that perfect, was perfect. And so uh, with with this though, these additional cases. These are what these are what kind of fuel and solidify the additional the things that you need to verify and corroborate a story like this. So uh, do you mind walking us through a few of those?
1: Yeah. The one you talked about, uh, a lot of uh, the sheriff there had said that um, they had about 50 UFO reports that same night in Pascagoula and a number more that weren't official. So there was a lot of things happening at the same night as the Pascagoula abduction but anyway um these people you know at that time they had never heard of the Pascagoula abduction because um it wasn't reported yet it was the same night though they were on the other side of the Pascagoula river from um Parker and Hickson and um they were sitting by a pair which went out to a ship and they were waiting for the man's supervisor to come because he and the man were going to take the ship out, but the supervisor was late. And so they were sitting there and the man was sleeping and the woman was looking out the window and she saw this thing flying around and she thought it was an airplane, but she thought it was really a weird airplane because it, um, just seemed to be randomly going around and not going anywhere and just going around. And then her husband decided to uh, take his clothes to the ship. And it was around nine o'clock and she, and they walked down the pier and she was a little behind him and something came out of the water. And she said, it looked just like a man. And she was very, very emotional about it and said it went back down. And she couldn't, um, it didn't come back up for air. And she wondered what on earth was going on. And so they went to the ship and she said she came back about 12. And she was just terrified and ran back to her car and left. Well, the way we found out about her was because um, Kelvin had given a talk at the library at the past library and they'd put that on youtube and this woman had written in and said yes yeah, she knew it happened the past abduction because her mother um uh had seen it or had been there and then so philip had got me had got in contact with her and got the mother's name and that was a woman i interviewed um so anyway i wrote to her and called her several times because she seemed so emotional about this thing that came out of the water and she said it looked like a man and i asked her if it was a fish and she said no and a dolphin and she said no it looked just like a man and she was really emotional about it and we i wrote to her quite a bit and i have all that in the book while she was trying to figure out what was going on and then sometime later her husband became very ill and unfortunately died and her husband was a skeptic he was the first person i talked to and he just briefly said he heard a big splash and something about a blimp and then he handed the phone to her and she said well he was a skeptic he didn't believe in any of that and he thought it was crazy well he he got sick and um was afraid it was his last days on earth and they were going to put him on a ventilator when and you can't talk on a ventilator and right before that he told her that they had been abducted but that he didn't want to talk about it and that's why he was a skeptic all that time he hadn't talked about it and um he said they had been aboard this object and he'd seen beings and things and then afterwards there'd been a splicer before i forget when the splice was but he had seen these things swimming back across the river And um, uh, when they had that experience, she remembered it because the next day, the Pascagoula abduction came out in the papers. So they had had that experience of her seeing the thing, um, the thing come out of the water that night. And then the next morning, they heard about the Pascagoula abduction in the paper. So they knew it was the same day. But anyway, what was really, really odd about it was it might have been um the same object. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, did the man say that he remembered uh that they were abducted the exact same night? The October eleventh Yeah,
1: I mean that was that was a night because they you know, she had thought this thing was weird and he didn't tell it, he didn't say anything about it then. But the next day Uh, The Pasangula thing came out in the
0: papers, so they knew that that was that night. Now, did he describe the entities or anything aboard or what happened during the abduction while they were on the craft?
1: Yeah, um, he said, I think there were some real tall entities and then some smaller ones. And I don't remember what happened to him when he was abducted. He um, uh, told her, she videotaped it. And also, she um, had him talk to uh, Philip Mantle on the phone. So he said that several times. And being a man, you know, he wouldn't have said anything about it because he wanted a normal life and wanted jobs and things. He didn't get in trouble. He said things like that.
0: Just like Calvin Parker, he didn't want any of this stuff. He didn't. He didn't want anything to do with it. He just. Uh, I've heard him quoted as saying, "I just wanted to retire from the same company, pay off a car, and just lay low." And that was my life. Um, but uh, it didn't turn out that way at all. Uh, so it is interesting, though, the flap, the other abductions that have been reported. So uh, let's go over the Pascagoula abduction, if you don't mind.
1: Okay, uh, that was Calvin Parker and um, Charles Hickson and um uh Parker was um about 19 when it happened and Hickson was about 45 and they were family friends I mean Calvin's father was a friend of Hickson and vice versa and they knew each other a long time and they had they were shipyard employees and they went fishing after the day of work um and it, they went to several places, and they couldn't find any good fish. And finally, they went to this one place was marked No Trespassing. And Calvin had a new car, and he wasn't thrilled about that. But Hickson said, oh, this is a good place to park and fish. Let's go. And so they went. And um, they had to walk a ways to get to the pier, and then they walked down the pier and started fishing. Well, then they saw a blue light. And um, they thought it was the police. And um, Calvin said, well, you can go to jail. It was your idea. And <laughs> it wasn't his ideas, but it turned out worse because it was an object. It was about 30 feet long. And it just appeared. And it was about two feet off the ground. And it appeared to open. And this real bright light was on the inside. And then these things came out. And two of them grabbed Hickson. And one grabbed uh, Calvin. They were both terrified and would have wanted to fight back. But it was like it would received a shot or something. And they described how they were ready to fight back and terrified and everything. Suddenly they were just relaxed and, you know, didn't, nothing bothered them and everything. And so these things took them inside the object. And they didn't see each other inside the object. Calvin, who didn't talk about it for years, then said that um, something came out, they put him on something like a 45 degree tilted table. There was no furniture or anything, it was just lit real bright with no light fixtures or anything on the inside. And they, he said they put him on a glass table, and I don't know if that meant he couldn't see the table or what but he was tilted at a 45 degree angle and this thing came out of the wall. It was like a deck of cards or maybe like an iPhone or something and circled in. And then, um, something like that happened to Hickson and then they were both back on the dock. Um, they thought it took about 15 or 30 minutes, but they didn't have watches with them. So when they were back, um, Kelvin was just standing there with his arms up in the air like that in shock. And Hickson, being the older man, tried to wake him up. And they were both just in total shock. And I think they both fell over. And finally, they got up and they decided, well, we'll never tell anybody about this. And of course, being shipyard workers, you can imagine what it'd be like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Hickson the older man had been in the army. He had been in life and death situations fighting and he thought he could hold up to it. And he thought they ought to report it. Kelvin didn't feel like reporting for the next 50 or so years, but he had his future ahead of him and, you know, he didn't want to be a weirdo. Um, and so Kelvin asked him to say, well, he just fainted and didn't remember anything. So, um, Hickson tried to report it. And I think, first of all, they started started stopping the newspaper and it was closed. It was later at night. And then they called um, Kessler Air Force Base, which is a big air force base down there. And they said that the Air Force no longer handles UFO reports and Project Blue Book is dead and everything. And told them to report to local authorities. So they did report to the police. And this was a very hard thing to do to say. I was abducted by a UFO and called the police and say that. Um, and I talked to another policeman who was further away, and he said a bulletin went out and said these two drunks had been picked up, and they said they'd been abducted by a UFO, and it was real, you know, sarcastic and everything. But the the people that in the police department that. Um, the man the man that took the call said i think he heard kelvin crying in the background pleading not to report it and things and so they took him a little bit serious so he went to the they went to the police headquarters and the police did a good job of investigating because they split him up and interviewed him separately then they put him together with an interviewer in the room and then the interviewer left and um What they didn't know was there was a tape recorder hidden in the room, and the policeman thought, Well, if they're hoaxing, we'll find out from the tape recorder. And so they retrieved the tape recorder and discovered that they didn't sound anything like they were hoaxing. They were both just terrified and in shock. And there's still a recording of that. It's on the internet, and I don't have the the url for it somewhere it's called the secret tape or something and um i mean it didn't sound rehearsed or anything it just you could tell they were really shocked and in a horrible state and calvin said he thought he had died and later he was praying and stuff
0: it is an interesting case, and this one stands out. And it's been written on quite a bit. Uh, this is one of those that's also got a lot of controversy with it. So, a couple of discrepancies I wanted to ask you about was uh, the account of uh, Calvin Parker when he said that he was on board. So, first of all, let's talk about the three entities that came out. So, uh, tell us about those if you don't want.
1: Well, they were different than any than the usual entities. Usually, people report. Um, something like they call the grays of these small things with big heads and big eyes. And then there's other things that are kind of like that. Well, these were totally different from anything because um, they were sort of porky. Um, They were wrinkled. They couldn't, I don't know if they could see their eyes where human heads have a projection, like the nose and the ears. Well, these had things sticking out like that kind of resembled carrots or something. Yeah. And they were kind of gray and it, it, they didn't know if they were covered with skin or what. They were kind of mechanical and they, they levitated. They didn't have two legs. They had sort of a pedestal that they were stuck on top of. And so they didn't look anything like anybody had ever described before.
0: Yeah, they had like, uh, I mean, elephant skin and uh, same thing. Calvin Parker said that they were very robotic in nature. Uh, The fact that, yes, no bipedalism, but they had sort of a pedestal where had it just been split in the middle, it would have been much more bipedal. Uh, This is interesting. And then, of course, the lobster-like claws. Um, All of it is just way out there. Uh, they, they said what about six, six feet tall, something like that, or over six feet tall, uh, elephant like skin. So still kind of, I guess a gray hue, if you want to, um, kind of look at it like that, but still very, very interesting robotic in nature, the protrusions, of course, uh, I'll go ahead and actually put up an, a visual artist representation of it right here. So if you're watching the video for the audio only audience, check out the link in the show notes for the video. Uh, and then for the video audience, this is what, um, they reported. This is what these three beings that came out, uh, uh, two grabbed uh, Hickson, one grabbed Parker and took him aboard the craft as the account goes. Uh, and then, very interesting, there was another entity on board the craft. Are you familiar with that?
1: Yeah, I wasn't real sure if he remembered that immediately afterwards. Or if or w- They uh, hypnotized him not too long afterwards, too. And I don't know if he remembered that consciously or under hypnosis. I'm not sure. But there was a woman. And... Um, he said that she looked real human, but that she stuck her fingernail down his nose and it caused him to bleed or something. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, there was that other there was this other thing, too.
0: Yeah, I think one of them was quoted as saying that uh, she was a very nice woman and he would have invited her out to lunch if the circumstances were different. And so there's also kind of sort of an attraction there, which is also very interesting. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now you meet and introduce this character who is uh, human like female uh, telepathic because she told him whenever she did stick her finger down his nose and make him bleed. uh, And he freaked out a little bit. She telepathically said, you know, we're not going to hurt you. And then almost right after that, uh, this gigantic weird being kind of carried him out and tossed him out on the riverbank. It's very, very interesting. Now, in some accounts, again... uh Calvin Parker says that he just hopped in his car immediately and went straight home. He then uh, removed all of his clothing because he didn't know, and this is smart on his part. Uh, he didn't know if there was some sort of bacteria or some disease or something like that that these entities or that environment could have given him. So he took all of his clothes off, uh, bagged them up, and threw them away after taking a bath and like scrubbing with like bleach and stuff. So it, it the impact that this had psychologically on, on these men are, are very interesting because Hickson, like you said, um, 42, 45, or 45. I was very excited about it and made, made this um, very public. He he went for it on this. Uh, Calvin Parker, the opposite. 19 years old. Um, like we said, whole life ahead of him. Did not want anything to do with this being in the spotlight. But one interesting thing is what the police say that evening is how shook up he was. Visibly shook up. And I remember uh, the sheriff being quoted as saying if he was acting he should have been given an Oscar, Oscar because it was so such good acting if he was pretending. Uh, so uh, very convincing um, on the on the part of this this young man. So um, with the different characters involved here, uh, and then with the abduction account from the people straight across the river in the same night, same time, saw the event take place and then also were abducted, uh, the, the whole thing is very, very interesting. So uh, you've had a little bit of time to kind of look at all of the evidence, objectively You've zoomed out on it. Uh, what is your favorite conclusion that you can draw from this? Uh, just a tentative one we won't plant your flag on this, of course. just what, what's kind of rolling around in your mind?
1: Well, I don't know what abductions are and due to some things that happened to me such as that first thing I told you about, I don't know if they're real or whether something can be implanted in your mind. I mean not that it's not that people are crazy. it might be implanted by Uh, mind control or something from the outside and so I don't know how you tell that but there were definitely a lot of sightings and some more besides that of um, objects at that time and um, there's nothing concrete except for that sound and I was interested in that because that was something that you can study scientifically and like finally the government has said there's an unidentified aerial phenomena well that was definitely unidentified aerial phenomena because you couldn't attribute it to anything but there was definite you know seismographs and everything else so it was heard over wide areas so there was something that same night that occurred that had a lot of um witnesses and so with the um abduction you just don't know i mean i don't i mean they were honest and they were telling the truth i don't have any doubt about that but i don't know exactly what happens
0: you know another thing that's interesting is kind of time period and location on this so this being in mississippi around the middle of october uh pretty pretty close to uh fall equinox there uh do you think it's possible uh that that boom that you that uh, that people were reporting was perhaps some sort of thinning of the veil to a point to where these craft or entities or whatever they are broke through and maybe had a swarm of craft come out um, have some sort of abduction event and just kind of snatch up as many people as they could during this time of thinned veil uh, and then escape back through this portal type thing. It's it's one of these ideas um, that's out there, of course, and completely unfalsifiable, like you can't, I mean, what do you do with that kind of information? But it would kind of uh, allude to that there's something large happening with the sound uh, that you can look at scientifically, like you said, but also then now immediately this flap with dozens of ad- abduction cases happening around that same time time period within about a few days to a week of this october 11th of 1973 and it's interesting there are many different theories uh then you can go down all these rabbit holes And me and you could just talk about our favorite one like uh, future humans and time machines stuff like that i, I was just curious to m- perhaps the most out there theory that you had entertained um just for the sake of entertaining it is there anything like that
1: well i was entertaining that um the sound was associated definitely with um, some events, such as the very well known abduction. It, but there were also other witnesses, such as at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, which is the main agency that investigated UFOs. Well, there were people out there investigating UFOs when the sound was heard. And um, it, the sound was, it was heard over a number of military installations. And also there was a, a, a almost like a the possibility of a nuclear war. And they had a DEFCON 3 alert not too long after that for nuclear war. It was the uh, Yom Kippur War in the Middle East. And there were also the Watergate and Spiro Agnew and all these other things going on. Um, but I wondered about, well, somebody interviewed somebody that said that was a show of force that might be tied in with a possibility of a nuclear war starting at that time. And it might, um, because, you know, they've, they've reported that UFOs fly over missile sites and can change the coordinates and the missiles and things. Oh yeah. And so due to the that uh, that um, was thought to be the largest flap ever but it was also interestingly enough at the same time as the last DEFCON alert too for nuclear war.
0: That is pretty interesting Uh, and you have to think about all of it right you have to correlate it all. Uh, So I wanted to ask uh, just simply due to the I'm going to say, unconventional nature of the this particular abduction case uh, because there are some similarities that occur uh, that are pretty ubiquitous as far as um, being grabbed by something, uh, something non-human, uh, and then taking aboard, taken aboard a craft um, and then doing some sort of medical procedure on and then later released. Um, now, what's interesting about this is that they weren't that the entities uh, let them remember. So this is another thing that's interesting about this, too, is that a lot of abductions, and I mean, if we really want to go for it here, if they have this kind of access to this place uh, and us, we've probably all been abducted. Um, and it, it may be one of those things where they only selectively let you remember or not. I've, I've said this again about the missing time um, phenomena as well as it's kind of an artifact of the experience to be explored. It's left on purpose uh, is just one idea I've got about it now. Um, but due to, again, the unconventional nature of this particular case, uh, do you think that there's any sort of secret government program or some sort of government involvement in this?
1: Yeah, I think the government knows about UFOs. Um, I work for the DIA and Defense Intelligence Agency, that's who did the the recent, um, um, you know, had the money to do the recent exploration of UFOs. And back when I worked from, my job was to identify aircraft from satellite photography. And the DIA keeps track of everything that's flying that may be military all over the world. And so I would think that I mean, back then, I thought it, I was in the UFO closet and didn't know too much about it. But back then, I thought the DIA probably knew about UFOs and they probably had photographs. And in fact, my bosses had turned in a report of a UFO on a very classified film. And their bosses had rejected it and said, no, it's a spot on the film. It was on two films and you get it on stereo. So it wasn't uh, a spot on the film. But their bosses rejected it, and it made me think that either their bosses didn't know anything about photography, which is possible, or that, you know, somebody up above was rejecting. And they always say uh, the government's coming up, covering up and everything. Well, a lot of the government workers that are covering up may be hearing from those above them to say cover it up and getting orders and that sort of thing. And the government in general isn't covering up. I mean, most people don't even care. But the people they would ask might be getting their instructions from way up above. But anyway,
0: I thought the DIA probably had photography of UFOs. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was kind of curious to see if you thought that the particular instance itself was... A government agency, um, because there's, there's again, a lot of things to do with this particular abduction case in, in particular that uh, lends to more of a technology rather than a lot of woo-woo. Now, a lot of it seems fantastical, right? The Arthur C. Clarke quote, um, advanced technology would be imperceivable from magic. But um, there are some elements to this, like uh, the, the fact that the three large beings injected them with something. There's a physical injection that occurred to make them relaxed and not fight back. Other reports, though, say that this all occurs telepathically. That basically, basically, they can shut you down with their mind or with something. This, though, had a physical interface that then was necessary to put them under. The other thing was is how ridiculous these um, entities look like. You know, there it it seems like if you were to go to. I don't know, if the government were to hire someone from Hollywood and say, okay, we need these beings, um, they're going to do this thing, there's a technology inside of it, it's basically like a robot, but we need the skin to wrap around it to just blow your mind and confuse, you know, the pattern recognition of the human brain, right? No split legs, it's just kind of a pedestal, the claw things, no eyes, but antenna uh, could use direction, could float. Like these things are can be described as perhaps an, a technology that's super advanced. The other thing would be is this human type woman. Now we've heard of these Kate. Okay Uh, accounts as well. Some of them are a little bit more dramatic and fanciful, uh, sort of like the Palladians or something like that, where they look very humanoid. But they also have these telepathic abilities. They also have uh, this interest in the medical condition of the humans that they're working on, also spread messages of love and things like that. This particular case did not do that. There was no, it seemed very cold, but it seemed like an obvious, uh, I'm going to say kind of a deliberate steering of th- what what they were witnessing to kind of throw them off from what was really going on. The other thing is that loud bang heard could have been, again, some sort of secret military craft, and that could have been part of this entire thing. Uh, we just can't rule that bit of it out, I don't think. Um, so what do you think to that? Do you think that the government is capable of that or has that type of technology that they're just not telling us about? Well,
1: so far is a craft, the sound might have been... A- 500 miles wide. And um, for sonic booms, which they've done studies of, it's um, about a mile for every 1,000 feet. So if an airplane goes by at 80,000 feet, it's only 40 miles on either side. This was way, way longer. And so if you calculated the height of the thing, it would be almost five miles high, which would be you wouldn't there's not the air molecules to make any kind of a sound or anything from that, but this was shattering windows and things at the same time. So it just, the physics of it didn't make too much sense as a sonic boom. It, it was something really strange. And, um, with the rest of it, I think if it was some kind of a movie production or something, you know, like that, I don't think it could have been. Um, but, um, I think they would take if that were so they'd take sort of an average of what people saw and described as aliens and things like that and so far as the um shots they just reported that they thought they saw had a shot there was some evidence of puncture wounds but not that made sense with what they described and so you can get shots, so without puncture wounds too and um i think that well to take a real (laughs) amazing hollywood ability to do that and i don't think they could with the thing floating through and things like that but um it i think if the government was doing that they would take something more they would take you know old reports and make an average of them and sort of do it like what people
0: thought this makes sense. The, they, they would kind of mimic the experience. This makes sense. And that's why I thought it was kind of a poor man's way of doing it. You know, they can't get the actual grays. And um, so they can get these mockups of something crazy that are like grays They're like the helpers or like the little automatons. These like little, uh, I guess, little robots that kind of just help out, you know? Um, so it's just interesting. I, I just find the whole case, of course, fascinating um, and everything about this. So let me ask you this. Where are we now? Uh, As far as an update on this event, what, what are we done with it? Or do you think that there's a lot more to investigate with this?
1: There's more to investigate because there were more sightings and we're finding more people talking about it. So uh, Philip Mandel and I are working on another book of more information about it. It's probably the best documented of any type of abduction story. And it's quite odd because a lot of people don't report. And they reported immediately, and it was conscious. Uh, and so they had investigators right on the spot, you know, good investigators working on it, which was different from most abduction reports. A lot of them just remember um, their hypnosis and things like that. And they had consciously um, reported. And also, they claim that a lot of people, I mean, some people hoax and that That's because they want attention and publicity. Well, like Parker didn't want publicity for sure. And (laughs) he
0: could have been world famous and he just shut up for 50 years. So I don't think that's it either. I agree with you. It just keeps getting more interesting. And of course, and there's a perfect answer. They're, these are never settled, right? It's uh, just like science. It's not settled. There's way too much uh, going on here um, to just call it quits on this and just to say that we have all the information because we don't. And I can't wait to see what you and Philip are putting together. And I'd love to have you back on um, if, you'd, if you'd like to do that whenever that book drops. So that's, that's fascinating. That's really, really interesting. Well, uh, Dr. Irina Scott, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, we will probably cap it here for this one. But uh, like I said, you're invited back anytime And I'm uh, truly, truly grateful for for your time and for all of this information. This is a fascinating case. And you did a wonderful job. So your book, of course, Beyond Pascagoula, the rest of the amazing story will be linked down in the show notes as well as all other ways to find you. Uh, Dr. Irina Scott, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. Man, uh, so cool. So, uh, the Pascagoula... Abduction Encounter is fascinating. Uh, All of these other ancillary things that occur with it as well just raise way more questions and answers. And Dr. Irina Scott has done a fantastic job putting this together uh, to the best of our ability so far. So, she's done a wonderful, wonderful job with this. So, all of the ways to find her, of course, guys, will be linked down in the show notes. Make sure that you check her book out beyond Pascagoula, the rest of the amazing story. And then, as well, down in the show notes, if you want to expand your experience with us here on the show, you can do so at expandingrealitypodcast.com that is where links to Rockfin all of the socials can be found there as well merchandise if you want to get some cool shirts and all that good stuff it's down there so, go check it out and uh, a bunch of new designs as well. So, go check those shirt designs out. So, the music that you're hearing is by a good buddy of mine, Vinny the Saint. He is also linked down in the show notes, as well as uh, the production on this kind of stuff that you guys are seeing. Uh, Bo Chefnowski, check him out. Uh, one of my best friends of all time. He does my website, he does all kinds of cool stuff. When I'm stuck on something production wise, uh, I call him. He's like, oh, yeah, two seconds and it's done. So if you guys want anything like that or just to reach out to Bo and let him know that he's doing a wonderful job, that is going to be linked down there as well so go out into this beautiful place guys and y'all remember to just pick up a piece of litter be nice to every person lizard person animal everybody that you come across hold doors open smile at folks get out of the left hand lane Uh, of course uh, buy somebody in line around you a coffee or a meal or a little book of stamps something like that it's it's a small thing but the ripple effects sent out through the collective are immeasurable so uh, beyond anything else guys go out into this beautiful place whatever this is and y'all just be good to one another thank you so much for listening we'll see you next time